Well, good morning. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, I'm Mark, and I am so glad to be in the Word with you this morning. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and to find Psalm 22. If you put your thumb in the middle of your Bible, you might be in Psalms or somewhere close and find the big number 22. That's where we're going to be this morning. Now today's Palm Sunday, right? And uh, part of what we celebrate and we acknowledge on this day is the kingship of Jesus. He rides into Jerusalem and as he rides in, there is excitement, there's fanfare, there's recognition of his majesty and his uniqueness. Now, there was worship and praising, much like what we just did this morning, as we lifted our voices and we sang that he's king. But uh, we know the whole story, right? If you've read the Gospels, I don't want to assume that you have, but if you keep reading, you're going to find out that something happened less than a week later to Jesus. And so because we know that, we have to recognize that Palm Sunday would have been extremely painful for Jesus because he knows what is coming. He knows that in five days all the fanfare and all the cheering and the praise is going to fade away. And then he's going to experience this dramatic reversal. He's going to find himself not surrounded by praise, not surrounded by uh, all of the worship, but he's going to find himself isolated. He's going to find himself dying on a cross. Traumatic isolation. Where was everyone who surrounded him Palm Sunday on Good Friday? No one to be found save a few devout women at the cross. So sure, he rides in as king on Palm Sunday, but this king is going to be betrayed. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be mocked. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem to die. His kingship is going to become a sarcastic expression nailed to the top of the cross, right? King of the Jews. That's what people are going to think of him. And so as Jesus goes through Palm Sunday, he, he does so in the shadow of the cross. He, he knows what lies ahead. He rides in to die. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he set his face like flint as he went into Holy Week. As he approached Jerusalem, he set his face like flint. He resolutely went throughout Palm Sunday, always within his mind, the cross. Now, so this morning we're going to consider Jesus' death. We're not going to be in the traditional Palm Sunday account. We're going to consider his death. And I want to zero in on just one part of his death. That's his isolation. The isolation <clears throat> that Jesus felt on the cross. And so we're going to see what that meant for him. And then we're going to see what does that mean for us. And this is very important because we all have moments where we feel isolated, where we feel alone, where we despair. And we want to know what does Jesus' isolation and despair have to do with, with ours. This last year has been a year where we felt the sting of isola isolation like never before, right? I mean, going through COVID-19, we have uh, social distancing and it kind of became social, social isolation, and I still, after all this time, can't quite get used to the fist bumps. Like, I, I, I'm doing it because I love people and because that's, I think, the respectful thing to do. And 
Uh, but it's just, it feels a little like you're not sure what you're doing. And today, after, <laughs> today afterwards, somebody, I, I did a fist bump and they grabbed it and went, stick shift. And I was like, <laughs> I said, just take the awkwardness and channel the awkwardness. Go, yeah, what, whatever, you know. But it's been weird. Like we've experienced a different way of living. We've experienced distance from each other. We've experienced isolation. And um, I think, I'm not sure, but some of you might actually be thankful for the new policies. You're hoping that that sticks around. You don't have to touch people more than you want to. But a lot of us feel uncomfortable because we're not, not sure what to do. And it just, it's created this, this difficulty. You remember a year ago, we weren't allowed to meet. We weren't able to meet physically for church. That was terrible. That was really hard. I, I remember husbands and wives being separated at the hospital. They couldn't, couldn't be with each other, right? I'm just thinking, this doesn't seem right, you know? I, I, I remember the uh, grandparents saying, I just want to hold my new grandkid. I remember probably the worst part of this pandemic has been knowing that people in our church, we had at least one, pass away alone. Like we couldn't go as pastors. We couldn't be there. Family couldn't surround them. They're trying to like video chat. And it just was so painful to be dying alone. And yet that right there, that terrible reality is exactly what Jesus experienced on the cross. Dying alone. Listen to the first verse from Psalm 22. If you have it open there, you'll see just verse 1. Actually, I'll read the, the title and then verse 1. The title here of Psalm 22 says, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. So we know right off the bat, okay, this is David's psalm. He wrote this. And then verse 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning. First thing I want us to see about Jesus' death here is that Jesus was isolated from the Father. Now most of you will probably recognize that while verse 1 was written by David, the words are iconic because Jesus uttered them on the cross. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus take this psalm and make it his own and he voices verse 1. So right out of the gate, we know this is a special psalm. This is a psalm with double meaning. On one hand, Psalm 22 is David's psalm, and it's, it's, he's experiencing real isolation. Remember, Saul is like chasing him, trying to kill him. He's in the caves, like hiding. Remember his son Absalom, who betrayed him, was also trying to kill him. So David's writing out of real experience, real isolation, so it's important to remember, this was the lament of someone who trusted God but was struggling, who was on the brink of despair. And we're going to make a beeline to the cross. I'm going to get there real fast, but before I do, I just want it to be known that this psalm isn't only about Jesus. This psalm was a real experience for David, which means that you and I, as we experience real suffering and isolation and despair, we can make these words our own, just as as Jesus did. I want to read on. So look at verse 2 and following in Psalm 22. If you grab your Bible, we'll read all the way up to verse 18, all right? So follow along with me. Psalm 22, verse 2 says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them 
to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. Oh, and you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now as we read these verses, we can't help but notice the physical pain of the crucifixion. The physical pain Jesus experienced was horrific. I mean, think about the word excruciating. Literally comes out of the word pain of the cross. This is a terrible way to die. Crucifixion is very foreign to us in 2021. We see see representations of the cross. We see images. Um, You know, even in this room, we have beautiful stained glass that portrays Jesus dying on the cross. Most of the time, these, these portrayals lack blood and guts and, and all of the things that, that were so horrific about it. Back in 2004, Mel Gibson directed a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And probably the first time that I've ever visually seen what it might have been like. And I remember debating whether to take the teens to it. And we did with parent, parental permission. But man, was that impactful. To, to, to just consider the horror of what happened. And my, my goal this morning is not to get into all the gory details of the crucifixion, but I want to see what Psalm 22 does point to with the crucifixion. So if you look at verse 14, David's writing this, and he says, All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my, my breast. And most doctors who tell you about the crucifixion will say more likely than not Jesus had numerous bones that were dislocated joints that were dislocated shoulders almost for sure when somebody's crucified elbows maybe even knees I mean it's either from the dropping of the cross or from the the twisting and and the unnatural weight on the body causes the bones to be dislocated so he's experiencing that verse 15 my strength is dried up like a potsherd my tongue sticks to my jaws. He's thirsty. Thirst was a a problem for those that were being crucified because they're slowly being suffocated and the way in which they're stretched, their throat dries out. Verse 16, he he says this, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And, And I don't know exactly what David's referring to when he writes these words and perhaps the Holy Spirit is just including them 
for Jesus' account of his crucifixion. Maybe he's metaphorically talking about the pain that David's experiencing. But Jesus actually had his hands and feet pierced. And we know that they didn't do this with every single person they crucified, but sometimes they did. Which just adds to the, the agony because as you're trying to stretch and hold yourself up, you're in nerve pain the whole time and incredible excruciating pain. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Remember, Jesus is naked. Maybe a loincloth, maybe, but he's naked and he's stretched and so his, you can see his ribs, right? There's this laid bare nature that Jesus is experiencing. Now, there are many other physical aspects of the crucifixion that we're not even going to get into, but just consider that to compound all of this, as bad as this physical pain is, as bad as this torture is, it's all being done publicly. In a very intentional way, they would put the crosses right next to a highway where people walking by, I was going to say driving, uh, walking by, would, would, would actually look and see They'd see the sign. They'd see the people being crucified. This is designed to publicly humiliate and, and be, a, be in a, uh, like, a, like a word of warning to those who would disobey. And so Jesus is experiencing all of this in public, in, in front of people. Verse 7 speaks to the public mockery, right? And this is quoted in the, in the, in the Gospels. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. I want you to consider the emotions that Jesus is experiencing right now. In, in the last 24 hours, what has happened? In the last 24 hours, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, which he knew was going to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. It doesn't take away the sting of it, though. Then you got Peter around a fire, and, and Peter is swearing. He's literally swearing, I don't know the guy. Jesus, yeah, no. This is a devout follower who's just abandoned Jesus. He, Jesus is, is experiencing all this emotion right now, and now we have all this foolish and hateful mockery of Roman soldiers and religious leaders and countless Jews that really have no clue who is hanging in front of them right then. Jesus has to endure all of this. So there's excruciating physical pain. There's this emotional pain of betrayal, denial, mockery. And as I prepared this sermon, I tried to just sit and just imagine what that physical pain must have been like, what the emotional pain must have been like. And I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very limited. Like I sit there and it, it gets overwhelming. It gets very overwhelming. It gets, it gets weighty, doesn't it? I mean, this is what Jesus is experiencing because of my sin. And I can't fathom how painful this is, but... One thing I know for sure, that's that the most painful thing that Jesus is experiencing is the separation from his father. Feeling isolated from his father. Look at the verse that he quotes from Psalm 22. Jesus does not quote a verse about the physical torture from Psalm 22. He doesn't quote even a verse about the mockery that he's experiencing. What he decides to take as his words is Psalm 22.1. This is the verse that... His heart is welling up with pain, and this is what comes out, Psalm 22, 1. And he makes this a cry of the Father. He takes this scripture that he knows so well, and it becomes his cry. And just so you can get an accurate picture, I don't think Jesus whispered or barely muttered this. Now, it would have been very difficult for him to speak. 
He would have had to have timed it and raised himself to be able to get words out. But the word that is used in verse 1 for groaning is even more often translated roaring. And it's even used of lions, the lions that roar. So this is a painful and this is a loud scream. This is every, you know, Jesus basically bringing within himself, like being able to draw from within himself the, the energy and the, and the volume to be able to project this. And, and what does he say? Verse 1, you can look at it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had an intimate relationship with his father. Intimate. He, he's been with his father Always, eternity past, he's, there's never been a time where he has not been with his father in unity, distinct in person, a different member of the Trinity, but one in essence. And for there to be separation in the Trinity is unthinkable. It's unimaginable. It is unbelievable. And so he cries out and asks God, why? Why is this happening? And surely Jesus has the rest of Psalm 22.1 on the tip of his tongue where it says, why are you so far from saving me? Psalm 22 uses the word far in, in verse 1 here in verse 11, you'll see it, and in verse 19. And the word literally means distance, far, distance. Now that's a word that's become familiar to us in the last year. Social distance has become a reflex the other day, I was in a very small coffee shop on the south side, very small, and I thought to myself, I wonder how many people are supposed to be in this coffee shop right now, right? Things I never thought about two years ago. So I go out to the front of the glass, and it's two. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I thought it was a small amount. There was one and another person in there, and, and somebody else was coming in, and so this has become a way of life, this, this distance that we've experienced. It's kind of unnatural though, isn't it? Like I, I, I struggle with it, but this is what we're doing because we're, we're walking through this unique time. But we're not designed to be at a distance from human beings. That's not how we're designed. In fact, they've done studies on, on babies, on infants, and if babies do not have physical touch and affection and intimacy, it affects them. You can go look at the research. It's kind of incredible. How much more unnatural is it for the Son of God to be distant from God the Father? This is even more natural, unnatural than the human beings feeling like, ah, oh, I hate this distance, I hate this isolation, I hate all of this. Well, the Father and the Son to be distant from one another, incredible. So I picture every fiber of Jesus being, as he, as he cries out, I, I picture every fiber just saying, why this is not right. And when David writes the words of Psalm 22, he, he vacillates between despair and faith. He's kind of going back and forth, doesn't he? I mean, if you look at it, verse 1, he's despairing. God, God why have you forsaken me? And then, then he goes to, our fathers, they, they cried out to you and, and you were faithful. But me, I'm just a worm. I'm not even a man. You know, and, and it goes back and forth. Despair, faith, despair, faith. He knows what he believes, right? He knows what he believes, but he also knows what he feels right now. He knows what he's experiencing, and it seems to contradict what he believes in his head and in his heart. 
I like how this commentary uh, talks about this struggle David was having. It says this, crying out in pain and expressing trust are not incompatible. Faith and trust ebb and surge in life, and the appearance of contrasting situations causes a clash in the one suffering. I know what I feel, and I know what I believe. The prayer clearly demonstrates the emotional roller coaster of the suffering of a faithful one. You ever been there? It's often the way that it works with grief and with suffering where you're, you're between faith and despair and you're just struggling. It's up and it's down. A mixture of lament and praise. And I would say to you that this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing right now. As he hangs on the cross, it's a mixture of faith and he's on the brink of despair. In fact, I think that Satan, I, I, here's what I think, I think Satan is trying to exploit one of the greatest weaknesses that Jesus is experiencing right now. Yeah, the physical weakness was horrible. But one of the greatest weaknesses that Jesus is experiencing right now, and Satan tries to exploit it, is why does it seem like my father has abandoned me? Psalm 22, 8, we, we read about the, the taunts of the bystanders, right? They say, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And here are the exact words that Matthew records when he correlates to Psalm 22. Matthew said this about the people who are watching Jesus die. They said this, He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So what you have is you have Jesus as he's hanging there saying, God, why have you forsaken me? The voices of those around are seeming to confirm that God has abandoned him. They're saying, well, why doesn't God save him if God desires him? And so Jesus is, Satan is attacking Jesus as Jesus deals with this struggle of like what is going on. But this next point is so, so important. So I want you to get this. It, it's this. Jesus was isolated from the Father, but not for long. Jesus was indeed isolated from the Father according to Psalm 22 and the Gospel accounts, but not for very long. Look at verse 24. Again, David's writing these words, but we can see how they refer to Christ as well. For he, God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Though God separated from his son, he did not despise or abhor his son. And though he has hidden his face from him, he would turn his face again. Verse 24, Jesus' cries were heard by his father. And you need to join us on Easter Sunday, Good Friday as well. But Easter Sunday, because that's the rest of the story, is that Jesus Terrible cries, loud, guttural cries were heard by the Father. Hebrews 5 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was heard. How do I know that? The resurrection is proof. <laughs> that Jesus was heard. 
but let's just stay at the cross for a little bit longer, okay? Easter will get to the resurrection. It's an unfathomable mystery how God, the Son, could be separated from God the Father. It, it doesn't really fit neatly in my theological grid, but I'm so thankful for this mystery. Because of this mystery, it makes possible another mystery, right? That I, as a sinner, could be included in the family of God. That I could be declared righteous and I could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on my account. I can be a child of God, a son of God. If it weren't for the mystery of Jesus being separated from the Father on the cross, I wouldn't have this beautiful mystery and how I like how God can look at me and see purity. Lastly, Jesus was isolated so we might be near God forever. This is the why. This is the answer to the why question. Why? Why would Jesus go through this? Why did this happen to Jesus? You, you talk about bad things happening to good people. This is the only truly perfect good person who's ever lived. Why does this happen? Verse 1, uh, you know, the, Jesus says why. A lot of people ask the why question when they suffer, right? I mean, you've probably asked it in your life. I've asked it. God, why? Why my family? Why my child? Why right now? Why would a good, loving God allow a virus to, to you know, sweep through the world and hurt people and take lives and disrupt Society, why does God let these things happen? It's a human reflex, and I want you to see that Jesus asked the why question too. Right in verse 1, he asked this why question. He quotes this, this psalm. And here's the thing, Jesus knew why. He knew why. He's, he's God. He knows why, and yet it doesn't stop him from expressing his pain and expressing his struggle. God put distance between himself and his only son because he had to. It was the only way. On the cross, the scriptures tell us, Jesus bore the sin of the world upon himself. And God cannot look at sin. Not that God is weak or fragile or susceptible like we are with this virus where we have to keep a distance because we might catch it. That's not the, the way it works with God. No, God has a character that is holy, and his character is so perfect and so holy that he cannot fellowship with sin. It's not that he's going to be tainted by sin. He cannot be with sin. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. He said, it says in Scripture he became sin, and he tasted death. What is death? Death at its essence is, essence is separation, right? Because when somebody physically dies, there's a separation between their physical body and their soul, their spiritual part of them, right? There's separation. And spiritual death is the separation of God and us. That's spiritual death. What is death but separation? So Jesus tasted separation from God. Or another way you could say it is Jesus was far from salvation, so salvation could come near. Jesus experienced being far from salvation. He says, God, why are you so far from saving me? So that salvation could come near to you, and salvation could come near to me. That's the real scandal of the cross, right? 
2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the scandal of the cross. That's why God separated himself from his perfect son. That's the real answer to the why question that Jesus screams in verse 1. Isaiah 53, 5, but he, this is the, the prophet writing and foreshadowing Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So where does that leave you and I? We see what happened to Jesus. We've recognized what he experienced, his isolation, his feelings of abandonment. Where does that leave us? What does Jesus' isolation mean for you and for me today? Jesus was isolated so you can be near God forever. That's kind of the takeaway for you, whatever your situation in life. Jesus was isolated so you can be near God forever. And that only happens if you trust in what Jesus did on that cross for you. You see it as more than just an unfortunate untimely end of somebody, but you see that what he was doing was extremely purposeful. He would never have gone through this. Jesus would never have died in this way, and the father and the son had an agreement. This would have never happened if there was not the purpose of forgiving the sins of those who would trust in Jesus. This is salvation for all who believe, and we need salvation, don't we? We need Salvation, we're born in sin, the Bible says. We're born in sin. No matter what the Lumineers say in their song, sleep on the floor, when they say, we're not born in sin. I remember hearing that the first time, being like, yeah, we are. But I don't think we want to think about that, right? We don't want to, we don't want to face the, 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 the cold truth that we are born sinners. I was talking to a new dad before the, I think it was after the, sec, after the first service, and I mean, those babies are perfect, right? They are, but, but the Bible says we're actually born in a state separated from God. We're born with distance. Distance put between us and God. That's how we're born. Our sin that we're born in places this chasm, this distance between us and God, isolated from our Creator, destined for an eternity of separation from Him. This is the essence of hell. I, I don't know exactly what hell's going to be like, but I know that the Bible teaches it will be separation from God. Think about it this way. To be isolated from loved ones is horrible. Some of you experienced that during this pandemic. To be isolated from the God of love is unthinkable. But we don't have to be isolated from the God of love. That's why Jesus suffered immensely for you. Will you relinquish control of your life? Perhaps you're in this situation where you're just not sure about placing all your trust in Jesus and letting him run your life. That's uncomfortable for you. You're not sure if you can trust him because you'd rather run your own life. Can't you see that he sacrificed himself on your behalf? Can't you see that he loved you enough to die in your place? You can trust him with your life. You can follow him no matter what might come. He died for you. Will you live for him 
and lay down your life for him. And then I, I want to speak to those who you have turned from your sin. You're not following Jesus perfectly, but you're saying, you know what? I'm following you, Jesus. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. I want to I be with you forever. For those of you, Jesus is the bridge between the Father and you. He's the mediator. He connects you to God. He spans the distance. And so I, I offer you the same, you know, parting thought, and that is Jesus was isolated so you can be near God forever, forever. Think about the joy of knowing that God will never, ever turn his face away from you. He's never going to stiff arm you. He's never going to reject you, and he's never going to isolate you. So let's get real. We, we don't know what's coming down the pike. If we learned anything from the pandemic, it was I don't know what the future holds. The stuff that has happened would have been laughable to me a couple years ago. I don't know what's coming down the pike. I don't know what next year holds. We could find ourselves battling COVID-22, or we could have cancer or, or depression or anything that makes us feel alone, makes us feel isolated, causes us to despair. But even if that happens, even if we battle something in our health, or even if, worst case scenario, we are facing death. Believer, child of God, you need to remember, you're not alone. Even if your family can't be with you or won't be with you, you are not alone. No, not for a moment. We're not isolated from God. God himself is with us, and if we're in Christ, he will never hide his face from us. He will never despise the afflicted. Look at verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Believer, you and I will suffer in this life. We will. And right now, we're still experiencing some kind of tribulation, the, you know, the, the last remnants for however long that lasts of the pandemic, right? We are, we're struggling. And some of you have way worse things to worry about right now because you're struggling. Believer, we will struggle, but even when we do, you'll never be alone, ever. I want to close with these beautiful words from Psalm 23 that we all know well. You've heard, it, heard them many, many times. Probably almost every funeral you've been to, okay? Psalm 23 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why does he say that? For you are with me. This struck me, it's pretty neat. The reason that Psalm 23 can be a consolation for you and for me, the reason that it can uphold people in the darkest moments of life is because Jesus fulfilled Psalm 22. Jesus went to the cross and Psalm 22 kind of blossoms in, in our understanding of what that means. And because Jesus did that, we can have Psalm 23, which means I'll never be alone. That shepherd walks with me. But had it not been for Jesus fulfilling Psalm 22, then we couldn't have this comfort, this consolation. Jesus was isolated so you can be near God forever. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that Jesus' isolation means our acceptance, intimacy with you, you drawing us near to yourself and never, ever letting us go never turning your face away from us. God, somebody here needs to hear that this morning, that they, 
they feel like maybe you've turned your face from them because they're suffering and they're struggling and they're doubting and they're waffling between despair and faith. Or some may have messed up royally this week and they just wonder why you'd even be their God, why Jesus would be their Savior. Lord, may they hear these words this morning from your word that you will not despise the afflicted, that those of us who struggle, we have a hope, an eternal hope, that Jesus stood in our place, and because Jesus became sin, we became the righteousness of God, and when you look at us, you see your son, you see purity, you see righteousness. God, may that fill our sails with hope and joy, and may it drive us to live a pure life. May it motivate us to live for you, God, I also think of anyone perhaps watching on the live stream or or somebody right here in this room who has been kind of not sure if they want to follow Jesus, weighing it out, trying to decide, is this the path I should go? Lord, may today be that day where they just relinquish control and they decide to follow Jesus Christ with their life because he died for them. That the distance that we've experienced from people in this pandemic is only a tiny fraction of the distance that we would feel from you if we don't have Jesus Christ. Lord, none of us want that. So I pray, God, that you would reach into hearts and you would fill us with faith in your Son. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.